welcome back to another episode of the Manic Movie Misfits podcast. I am one of your hosts, John Phillips. And I'm the other guy, Trevor Chick. And today, we have a special guest with us. Guest, would you introduce yourself? I suppose I could do that. So, so, so much of an honor of you to call me a special guest. I bet you say that to all your guests, but... No comment. It is nice to... <laughs> it is nice to be here. It's been yeah, a we kind of do. <laughs> Don't tell him, TJ. <laughs> tell him the secrets. <laughs> but no, it's it's great to be here. We've been talking about this for like a month and a half now. So, you know, the fact that some things that you manifest actually come true are very nice. Mm-hmm. Yep. You said you said your name was Tom. Did you? Uh, yeah. You know, okay. in some circles. <laughs> that's no, what, did that's you what the people of the uh, podcast <laughs> no, can believe. No, I'm just, I'm just saying, <laughs> I can't remember. Did you just say? Did you introduce yourself yet as Tom? Oh, did I? I, I don't think I you did. Remember? Man. I don't remember either. <laughs> I, I don't do this very. Okay, well, they know you're Tom now because I said you <laughs> yes. were Tom. So, yes. yeah, so, regardless. So we'll go with it. The movie of the day is Baby Driver. God bless America. Even though Edgar Wright is British, same thing though. Ah, uh, you know, <laughs> it was it yeah. was in Atlanta. It is in Atlanta, so that's that's true. Yeah. Ansel Elgort, for God's sakes, how much more American can you get? That's a good point. The other actor, Lily James, is she American? No, she's, she's British. British. Yeah. Okay, we got some clashing going on right now. We got some British American. <laughs> this is gonna be the theme. <laughs> like how? Yeah, culture clash. How British could Edgar Wright retain his being while still making this movie and making Baby Driver into what it is? Exactly. Yeah. Having a movie set in Atlanta, how British can it be? Exactly. (laughs) Yes. So, Tom, you recommended this movie for a discussion. I did. Why? I recommended this movie because, like you fine gentlemen... Uh, I love me a good movie. And um, uh, my philosophy on movies in general, especially good ones, is that, like, you know, there's a lot of them. I would I would venture saying that there's a shit ton of good movies to be watched in the wide world that we exist in today. Um, and so I don't tend to watch movies more than, like, twice, three times, I watched Citizen Kane twice because, you know, the second time is when you watch it for the visuals. It's like, oh, 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 beautiful. Uh, But I don't watch movies like 20, 25 times. Like, I just don't do that because I know that there's other stuff to be watched and I get anxious about it. My one exception to that rule is Baby Driver because it's just that awesome. And, like, the music syncing up to everything and the car scenes. And I, uh, there are a bunch of movies that also adhere to those tropes, you know. Like, uh, they're not new concepts, but just the way that Edgar Wright put them all together and the story that he put along with them. Uh, it's the best of the best. It's the creme de la creme, and I love that movie so, so much. And uh, that's why this is, like, something I've wanted to do deep down in the folds of my psyche for years and years and years is get on a podcast and talk about my favorite movie ever. Perfect. Well, you're in a great situation to do that. I am. I'm living out a little tiny vicarious fantasy right now. Yes. Tom, you just obviously brought up that you've watched it a lot. I have. TJ, you are in the same boat. 
Oh yeah. We're friends already. Yes. <laughs> We've known each other all of like five minutes. Yeah. No, this is gonna work. You wanna come to coming together swimmingly in twenty years? <laughs> you can throw rice or something. Yeah. Yes. Yes. All I've ever wanted. Why why did you watch this movie so much? What 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 stood out to you? Uh well I originally saw, I saw the ad for it like three weeks before it came out. I didn't even realize it was an Edgar Wright movie. But I was like, dude, this movie looks awesome. And I saw it in theaters with my friend, like opening weekend, and we were, we were so excited. And I mean, I fell in love with this movie. Um, dude, watching it in the theater was something else. I loved it. I mean, not saying that like watching it at home, like, for the 50 billionth time isn't awesome. But like seeing it in the theater like hits different. Agreed. Awesome. Fully agree. Um, I bought it like a few weeks after it came out on Blu-ray. Like I have it sitting like literally like five feet from me. And I've watched that Blu-ray so many times uh, because I just, I adore this movie. I love Ed Great in general. I think his movies are absolutely fantastic. I think I've seen all but one which is uh, a world's end. I think this is like the most rewatchable, the most fun. Has a killer soundtrack. Oh, uh, oh my god, that is going to be like fifteen minutes alone of this. Yes. Yes. Yeah. No, uh, I, I mean, I was. I fully agree, though. Like, I I think your your pathway and my pathway are almost identical, except for the fact that like I got to this whole obsessing over movie thing kind of late. And so, you know, I was like 17 or 18 when this movie came out, and I did not know who Edgar Wright was. You know, sin on the podcast and shame me, scorn me, whatever. I, I didn't like, know. TJ introduced me to Edgar Wright with Baby Driver. Like, I didn't know who he right, was either. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so this was my introduction to Edgar Wright. I, I don't actually know why I went and watched this movie in the theaters. Other than, like, you know, I had a girlfriend at the time, and we wanted to go to the movies, and we're like, all right, what should we watch? I guess we'll watch this weird one with the funky name that has a lot of pink on the poster. And that, Hell yeah. That I, yeah, like, I have no idea why we elected to do that, because she's not a movie person at all, and I hadn't, I mean, I liked them, but... I definitely wasn't like an action movie guy or anything. And I didn't recognize it. I hadn't seen any of the advertisements. And then I walked in and like it, it changed everything, I think. Did your girlfriend at the time like it? Like as just a casual? Yeah, yeah. Which, which is saying something because, you know, she was one of the types more that would like rewatch the Disney movies a lot, you know? And so like the breadth of... Uh, storytelling is a lot more limited there. And so the fact that this appeals to that kind of crowd, I, I guess, from what I've seen and talked to people, like everyone I've ever talked to that's seen Baby Driver is like, yeah, that's such a good, good movie. Even when they're people that I would not assume would like that movie. I, I And I think it goes down to like the plot and not the car chases and the music syncs and Jamie Foxx delivering like his 
top three performance of all time. Uh, it's just it's just a good story, and it's just so well written. Like every element of the movie checks out. I literally on the top of my notes right here, I have it is one of the most sound movies I have ever seen. Right. It's not the most epic. Mm-hmm. It's not the most extravagant. It's not usually considered in the greatest of all time. But as a sound movie, from beginning to end, I don't know if I've seen a movie this sound. Very few. Right. And right. I think that highlights what you were talking yeah. about. Yeah, it's just it's just so satisfying. Like, it's, it's not a Disney movie-esque comparison per se, because, I mean, like, you know, he goes to jail and people die and things like that. Like, it's not easy all the time. Uh, the artist formerly known as Kevin Spacey, uh, you know, you you grow to like that character without context as the movie progresses, and then that guy gets marked. Spoiler alert. Oh, yeah. But if you're listening to this yeah. episode and you haven't seen Baby Draver, I don't know why you're listening yeah. to this episode. Yeah, that's, so that's Go watch it. It's amazing. Yeah. We sold this movie to you for, like, ten minutes, and... Now, you know, now we're going to talk about it. So, uh, but yeah, yeah. You know, like, so, you know, it's, it's not like a perfect, super happy story or whatever, but it, you're right. It, it's just, it's so like, by the end, you're like, wow, I, I have all the elements of this story. I understand everything that went on, but at the same time I was captivated. I was enticed and I was entertained thoroughly and fully. No more, like, you can't ask for more from the movie. What I think is crazy, too, is that this movie that we've come to know as being a very sound film, very well-made in, in every aspect, was based on the music itself. Mm-hmm. Edgar Wright, in, in behind-the-scenes interviews and stuff, has mentioned that he knew most of the songs before he actually wrote the script. Right. He has a killer music taste. Oh, it, it's, it, it's, I mean, it's legendary, really. Even in the circles of Hollywood, it's legendary. And I think the most beautiful thing about this is that, like, so look at Chris Nolan and Tenet, right? A lot of people see that as Nolan, like, shooting for the furthest reaches of the galaxy with his style of movie making and not... Like, quite frankly, not really hitting the mark. Whereas this seems like the equivalent of that at that point in time in Edgar Wright's career, where he's like, you know what? Screw having a movie before having a soundtrack. What if I just find all the music for this first and literally write a movie based on songs? Like, that in concept sounds like a dog shit idea <laughs> but <laughs> when you can do that and create baby driver out of it due to like like out of a simon and garfunkel motif that's crazy it is awesome one question and we're gonna discuss this later i don't want to get into this now right right we at the end i'm gonna ask you guys if you think it should be considered a postmodern musical and we'll get into that <laughs> at the oh very my end god yes We'll get into that at the very end. I also have some more questions for the end. So, we just talked about how the movie is based on the foundation of it is the music. Mm -hmm. 
So with that being said, let's start off with the first big section of the film, which is the which we open with, which is the bank robbery. Yeah. Bell and the and the car chase. Yeah. Thoughts? My God. I can watch that scene on repeat till the end of time. <laughs> Why? I love it so much. Explain. Oh. I think like from the like from the get go, it like really establishes like how the movie is going to be. Like yeah. in that like everything's synced up to music. There's killer action. There's killer mu- like music. Uh, it's fun. It's tense. It's like it's different. Um, all in the span of like what ten minutes, like seven, seven to ten minutes. It's awesome. I mean, it's plus it's just a killer action scene. Yeah, it, oh my God. I, I mean, it's it, it's like it, it's. I would say it's a master class in like pace setting, you know. But I think it's more than that. I think it's honestly just a master class in movie making. Because obviously it sets the pace in that you see bank robbing, uh, car heist, seven-minute jazz freak song that just kicks ass every second of it and is timed up beautifully with, like, cuts and gimmicks and, you know, crazy stunts and all this. But, like, you know, you, you know every character by the end of the scene, too. Everyone who shows up on camera gets characterized so well while this car is moving 110 miles an hour through the streets of Atlanta. And these guys are, like, actively robbing banks and have, like, little to no dialogue and getting chased by cop choppers, you know? Like, like how do you do that? That, that's how you do that. It, it's, it's crazy. So yeah, the, that that's a great thing to start on, and that the rest of the movie wouldn't be what it would be without having that pretense coming in. It's like, all right, your palate is warm now. You, you, the stage has been set. The rest of the movie is yours to lose, as Edgar Wright from that scene. Yeah, we get a lot of the elements that stick with us through the movie are immediately developed in that scene. Right. One, it's really focused on our main character, Baby. We, unlike a lot of other heist films and a lot of other crime-centered films, we don't ever actually see the crimes going on. No. Yeah. Because with this scene, it's just him in the car. He's We see glimpses of it. With When they rob the armored vehicle, he actually drives forward. So we don't actually see the violence or anything and then drives back. That, like, doesn't really ever happen Mm-mm. in a no. film. No. In a film that's like a crime heist thriller film. Also adds to, and also in this, we see the quirkiness of of Baby as a character and just the film in general. I, I categorize the quirkiness as in also the matching with the beat and stuff like that. And then, just, I mean, talking about the car chase itself, one of the most well-done car chases I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah. Um, there, I've never seen a stunt in any Fast and Furious or Hobbs and Shaw, uh, you know, any, any, and that are, like, based around the cars that have that one shot in the alleyway where he turns the car, like, I don't know, what the hell yes. is it, like, 140-something degrees in a puddle, 
around one backing out truck and then whips the tail around. Like, who did they hire to do that? Do we have a name for that guy? I want to, like, shake his hand and kiss his baby's forehead because that <laughs> that's the coolest freaking thing I've ever seen. Dude, I was so blown away by that. I was just like, oh, my God. Like yes. It's just so creative. It is. They're using – I'm a sucker. TJ can account for this because I bring it up so much on the podcast. I'm a sucker for when directors and actors use the setting to their advantage mm-hmm. to heighten the the experience of the movie or the plot itself. And that was a, that's a great example. It's legitimately – he's just basically going around a semi and some other obstacles. But in an alleyway, that's very – you know, characteristic of the city they're in. They're in a city, Atlanta, yeah, and that ex- exemplifies it. Their, their setting. I, I find that really cool. The only other car chase, personally, that I've seen that I would put up with it. It's more iconic, but I think as a overall, like you, as quality wise, you might consider this one better. I think it's kind of close. The car chase scene in Bullet, debatably the most iconic car chase of all right. time. Yeah. Steve McQueen, oh, that has a very similar vibe where it's very real. It's not like, as you mentioned, the Fast and Furious movies. Like, those can sometimes be very CGI and, like, not as authentic. We'll put it that sometimes. way. <laughs> all, mostly all the time. I was referring to the yeah. CGI, but, right. but yes, yeah. yes. And I'm just kind of realizing this now. They, they both have that same vibe where it's very real and authentic, and you can tell it's legitimately Steve McQueen, and it's legitimately Ansel Eggert at parts actually driving the car. Right. And not just some oh, yeah. stunt guy where they always have to have wide shots so you can't see him. You can't get a clear shot of him. And, again, we talk about how this, how this section sets up for the rest of the film. That, that is a part of that because – we get very personal with baby and the only way, part of the only way they could have done that is if Ansel was driving a lot of the time. Yeah. And so that's good to see. Truly. Uh, I I feel like another movie to kind of add to that list of like bullet and baby driver is, um, the kind of like heist at the beginning of drive, Ryan Gosling. Mm, It it, kind of has that same energy where it's very, where that one's like very quiet. It's very slow. It's very tense where this one's, like, very crazy action. They're kind of, like, they're each other's, like, foil, I guess, but they're both kind of, ha- like, have that same energy to them. Whereas, like, uh, or, yeah, you focus a lot more on the actual driver and not the, the crime being done. Right. Which right. is really cool. The, the, the I love genuine, both the movies, respectively. The genuine nature of that. And, 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 I mean, that was almost kind of the beginning of, like, the societal shift towards, like, parasocialism, you know? Like, that's where it really was, like, just beginning, beginning to begin before it had a name or anything. But, you know, it was becoming clear that people didn't want fake shit or stuff that they could tell. Like, audiences weren't stupid that they can snap out of the belief that this is legitimately this kid driving this car, like, just establishes the character so well and keeps the audience captivated so well. Genius. I love when Griff, who's played by, is it John Bernthal? Is that his name? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. I love very, there's, whenever I think of Baby Driver, one of the scene, one of the exact shots that I think about moments is when Bernthal, whose character's name is Griff, points forward and Baby Driver goes backwards. And he's just so, <laughs> it's awesome. He's so self assured. 
And and that that is like when I was talking earlier about like the characterization of every person in that car, like he needs four seconds, and it's that him being like this big uppity asshole who just robbed a bank and is like, all right, we're gonna drive out of here, and he's wrong because <laughs> he's kind of an idiot. <laughs> yeah. But, oh god, like it's just so good, and it's funny. But it's also so poignantly that guy, and that's the guy you get for the rest of the movie too. I didn't know. So remember that one shot where he kind of drifts and he kicks like the spikes, like yeah. over to the side. Yeah. Can you actually yeah. do that? Uh, I feel like you would get spiked. Or well, I mean, he he only did it with one tire. Because I I remember watching that too, and I'm like, mm, hold on. But when you watch it, he catches it with his back. Right tire, one of his back tires, and then flips it so that the cop car hits it. Right. So the cop car gets gets decimated, but he's still on three tires, and so I think that's what allows him to still like you know be able to keep going. Okay. And I mean, by what 2015, 2016, a lot of tires on the market had like an hour long protection thing from I, th- yeah, I know what you're talking about yeah you know so i mean oh know, yeah yeah it, it's it's worth it's worth believing that he like cuz they were only in the car for like 7 more minutes and then they ditch it in the lot and switch to the other one so you know the car, cops find a red car hours from then with one flat tire and they're like damn it I love even with the soundtrack going, how you can still hear him shift gears, mm-hmm. like really going and get like going ham on those gears. Like you can you can hear it, mm-hmm. and that's really awesome. really cool to hear because as we've been highlighting, it it, it increases and creates that realism. Yeah. And it's again, you know, it's it's the detailed work of Wright and whoever else he you know put on the task of making everything sync as much as possible to the music. Yeah. Bell Bottoms was a great song for this timeline in particular. And Edgar Wright has, of course, said that he's built this scene around it because the way the music is set up, you kind of have almost like a calm before the storm where the beginning, right, where he's in the car. He's jamming. He's just jamming, like casual jamming. I'm jamming, I'm jamming. But as soon as the alarm goes off in the bank, bell bottoms, <gasps> bell bottoms, and and it just goes. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. I would like to tell you about the fabulous, most wonderful bell bottoms. Exactly. Most groovy. And <laughs> yeah, that's what it is. You and that's right when the beat really picks up and it's the really hard rocking with the chase. Oh it, hell yeah! Just masterful. Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's that, you know, directorial vision that takes, like, the touch of God for every four million people that he drops on Earth to, like, have that. A thing that I always think about, I don't know if this is touching on one of your questions for the future here. The thing with any good movie, but this one especially, that I have so much respect for is that, like, there's a ton of obviously like studio oversight that goes into any movie that costs more than like three million dollars today right and edgar wright's an established director so he gets a little less of that than your average joe under studio 
working, but still, like, to be able to almost inevitably maneuver studio interference, and it's like, oh, this doesn't cater to our audience as well as we think this, 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 and this would, and if you don't put this in the movie, we're just going to stop giving you money. And they're like, all right, fine. So to, to probably and inevitably get those comments and still be able to make that scene and then still to have the movie that follows that scene, that I feel like is the biggest achievement of modern Hollywood today when we get good movies is that we get this muddied vision a la non-Snyder Cut DC uh every single time of stuff that studio executives feel like is within the interest of their bottom line, which is what actually, you know, sells, makes or breaks and distributes movies today, which is so sad, but the reality of the situation. And so when you get good independent stories, independent movies, things like that, that have to face that battleground and still come out as gems akin to Baby Driver and other stuff like that. That is so cool. Agreed. I feel like that always needs to be commended. I was going to talk about this earlier, but Tom, I'm going to get right. I'm going to talk about it. You've you've made me change up my lineup. How dare you? Uh (laughs) Well, on the topic of studios messing with like a director's vision, the studio wanted to cut out the foot chase with Baby after he that section where he does all that cool parkour stuff in the park they wanted to no cut way. that yes they wanted to cut that out because they thought it wasn't like natural to the film because all the other film was about you know car chases and also they wanted to save money but ultimately Edgar Wright was like you know what just i don't care just have a portion of my salary like a portion of the money you were going to pay me so we can get this done wow that it did not so, know. okay so I was there, say, that's there like were one of my favorite sections in the movie yeah, it's so it's so, it's so refreshing. Well, and we, we'll save it for when we get to it. But yeah, no, I I agree. It's a it's a nice change of pace, and I definitely think the movie would have taken a hit if it wasn't in there. Oh yeah. So. Oh yeah. Yeah, some some action scene that isn't quite car chase has something a little different. It's varied up. But it's so character important, you know, because like it's it, it's not just this kid behind the wheel of a car. It's this kid having to run for his life virtually everywhere he goes. Like, just the narrative impact of the scene is so good and how crafty he is. Like, you know, again, more points for stellar, creative, interesting filmmaking where he sneaks into the shop and, like, changes clothes and then leaves and the buzzer goes off. (laughs) So it's, like, all for (laughs) naught. Right. All right, we're all, we're basically thirty minutes in, and we have only, we've only gotten past the first big section. So we'll, we're going to keep moving. The, movie. <laughs> the next big section is the ar- is the second robbery, the armored car robbery, mm-hmm. chase slash chase scene. With there's the marine there. This is my Mike Myers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. I mentioned this earlier. This scene is cool because we get the further the idea that. Baby really is not a part of this world at all because he, as I mentioned, he drives past the violence, so we don't see it as an audience member. And we also 
key on how important his music is to him in this scene as well. Because he even remember he scrubs the the song back to the beginning. Yeah. yeah. After the argument they have, because he has to have it timed yeah. up with what he's doing, and that piece is just so cool because it feels like you're connected with the character even more. Thoughts? Yeah. Uh, the the yeah I, I I obviously that scene is fantastic and the reason I love it the most is because it signifies the shift happening in baby's life I think that's what makes the movie is that right at the beginning instead of having to work compulsively or like you know uh, under uh, Doc's thumb in debt every single time. He's at this huge potential turning point in his life, at least as far as he knows at that point in time, where he, like, feels like he has this new sense of freedom. And so, like, this period of his life, to him, mentally, is over. And so then when he gets dragged back into it, he's not in the right headspace. And, like, that's just been so interesting because everything's off kilter then. And that he has to throw the music back and the heist goes wrong for some reason and he can't evade the veteran and the other dude forgets his shotgun and Not cool, J D. Not yeah, cool. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I, I agree. This scene is also because the opening scene, sure, we kinda saw that he didn't fit in this world, but now when you combine this scene with the kind of lull period that we have, we start to see truly how innocent he is. Right. And how yeah. warm of a character he is in this film. He really, You really start to understand he does not belong in this yeah. world. And you almost have to think about, like, again, you know, he's been doing this for virtually a decade, ever since he was a tiny kid. And so you have to wonder if, like, this is the first time in a decade he's been allowed to grow as a human. Like, he's probably developmentally stunted, mentally, in that instead of going to school and having a childhood, he's been stuck with a deaf guy that he lives with and cares for and committing crimes. <laughs> and, like, that's been his whole life, and that's all he's been allowed to do. Right, he tells Deborah that... That was the most he'd spoken to anyone, and I can't remember if he said how many years, but a long time. Exactly. Yeah. Like. He yeah. Just, he, he. All year. Yeah. This is what he's like. I've spoken to you more today than in this whole year to anyone else. Right. Which is is just insane. And again, it's such an interesting character to watch, to play, to see their life unfold and begin to advance. And, you know, your telling moments are, like, when he's skipping his song back because he's still, like, so reliant on that. And it almost, it almost, well, it's like his, it's like his getaway. Right. 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 His, his escapism. Escape. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But then, like, also the genuine, you know, maybe innocent humanity of him where he, like, you know, returns li the lady's purse later or, like, you know, saves the kid from the car that they have to jack on the freeway. The, he, he's a genuinely good person, whether that be born out of, like, a childlike stuntedness of moral code, where he's like, oh, yes, the world's all lovely and good and whatever. Um, even as a 
getaway driver for murderers and killers and whatnot. But there's that one moment in the diner where he's talking to Deborah and he pronounces the band Trex instead of T Rex. Yeah. Yep. I don't I don't know what Edgar Wright what Edgar Wright is trying to tell us with that. It might be kind of what you're talking about where he's yeah. a little stunted in yeah, he's probably never gotten to talk to anybody about that ever, you know? Nobody's given a shit. TJ, what are your thoughts on the armored car robbery slash chase? Uh, I mean, like, like every action scene, I mean, the action of it is fantastic. Um, and I like the, like the nice shift in music from, um, kind of like the, uh, kind of like bluesy kind of classic rock kind of vibe that the original song has. And then we kind of mix it more like a punk vibe. I thought that was kind of cool. Um, regardless um yeah i, I like the, like the, the like this chase in particular it really starts to show like character shifts and like or like even just kind of like opens up his character more because it shows like he's kind of like non-confrontational and that like he doesn't want uh bats to shoot the one guy and he like uh makes it so he can't shoot him and um stuff like that like like you guys are kind of saying like he doesn't want anyone to like truly get hurt. He kind of he's he just kind of like I kind of have to do this, and uh, it's all I kind of know. But the the less people I get hurt in the process of this, the better, kind of thing. Yeah, for sure. Moving on to are we good with that scene? Everyone's I think so. good. Yeah, we'll move on to. I'm good what essentially is the lull in this plot, which is lull, I mean, by kind of just more downtime. We take a break from the action. I know, I know. There are no lulls in Baby We take a break from the action. With that, I include where he starts actually talking to Deborah more because he'd only seen her once before and didn't really talk to her. Um, getting get the, Gets the pizza job <laughs> as the right. delivery guy. Right. And then back in the game, which is him seeing doc at the restaurant i love i love this section even more than i had before because deborah and baby's relationship is just amazing it's so oh it's top tier this is the true moment where we understand his innocence and all that he's lost and just him as a character the the chemistry is just so thick there and I love the way they kind of revolve around each other in the laundromat, talking about things, and um, it's very sweet. And and it, and it's it's stylized without being ridiculous, which again, like it's just it's the work of a master craftsman, like such a steady hand at making the film. In that you know he knows how to make it witty and snappy and still interesting to watch, but, like, you know, they're at a laundromat. Like, a, a lesser filmmaker would be like, oh, yeah, clearly this guy knows how to drive cars all his life, so he's going to take her on a car drive and impress her that way. Whereas Edgar Wright is like, I mean, we'll get there, but that's not the reason this works, obviously. It's because she's not that. I noticed a lot of these shots were really close up to their faces and how they were able to portray like 
what they were talking about and what we are what we could see who they were as actual person through their faces i thought was really cool and and a, <laughs> a good job by lily james and ansel Eggert. yes lily james that's that yeah you did good in saying her name first because lily james is the one that carries like the outsider perspective into this and you know lily james is cast perfectly for that too and that Definitely. she has an expressive face and is just very good at her job. And from my understanding, too, at this point, they're not necessarily super well-known actors either. Um, I, I believe. I might, I might be wrong. I think I think Lily James had, like, one other big thing. Because I think she did um, uh, Cinderella, like the live-action remake yeah, of that. Yeah, she was in one of Disney. those stories. So, I mean, they were, they were mid-tier, like, kind of on the rise sort of deal. Yeah. But I like it because yeah, they're not big stars. Right. I right. think if I think yeah. if these two were big big stars, it would have taken away from the the film. I'm going to be honest. Yeah. Considering what roles yeah. they play, right. very quiet, not very loud characters. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh but at the same time not being total no names, a la like I don't know Lost or something. Because, like, Lost, the point is that they're supposed to be totally, like, ingrained into the story or whatever, going into the 4 of TV. Uh, but that they have some reputability so that you recognize the face, but not enough yet. You're right, to take away from the story and then let, like, John Hamm and Jamie Foxx do that instead so that you can juxtapose the people who are there as like, you know, the baddies and the less fleshed out ones, Kevin Spacey, uh, Gina Rodriguez, whatever. Um, that's Gina Rodriguez, right? Or is it Michelle? It's Elisa Gonzalez. Is that who you're talking about? Uh, yeah, there you go. Yeah. Thank you. Sorry. No, yeah, you're good. You're good. No, yeah, I agree. You, you bring up an interesting point that I'm kind of realizing now is all of the the villains, the kind of the the truly bad people in this film are actually louder actors and more well-known actors as well. John Hamm, Jamie Foxx, Elisa Gonzalez is, was in she was she was known like she was in yeah. the in the actors yeah. kind of world, Hollywood. Uh, of course Kevin Spacey, I mean, you know, Unusual Suspects, American Beauty. Yeah, by that time, he was. A I was gonna say he's guy. been around for forever. Yeah. yeah, the color palette. We get some great color palette scenes too. The the laundry, right? The washers all have the different color. There's yellow, red, blue. I don't know what that's supposed to symbolize. Yeah. Maybe like romance or something. It's 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 there for some reason. Cool. It's, it's yeah. cool. I think it's I think yeah. it's just Edgar Wright having fun, honestly, because like that's probably you know, right. Color, co the color is not the main focus of the story. That's true, but it helps, right? It helps with the scene where Baby has to get back in the game. Yeah, his suit's black. Mm -hmm. Doc's suit is black. The surrounding is black. Like the cars around them are black. That is where I really noticed it. And I think he did that intentionally to set that kind of tone where, you know, Doc is saying, you know, or if you don't join me, I'll break all the legs of your loved ones, kill all your loved ones. Just totally just dark 
healthy workplace environment. <laughs> healthy workplace environment. Yeah. <laughs> That's one way to put it. Yeah, no need to file with HR. No, it's yeah, good, it's no but... it's no Wes Anderson color palette. Right. That's for sure. Right. But it's not nothing. Like the scene at the end, I mean we'll get to that, but like uh the scene at the end with John Hammond it, you know, that is colorful as hell. There's so many colors in that scene. Oh yeah. It's so beautiful in a twisted, scary, super tense way. But you know, I, it still lends itself so nicely. And then the end end too. So I mean that conversation kind of exists throughout and we can get to that bit later. But any more thoughts on the kind of quiet section of the film before um, we get back into the action. Is, uh, are you including, like, his backstory, like, with the whole car crash scene that left him with tinnitus and things like that with his mom? Yeah, we should talk about that, definitely. Because, yeah. I mean, like, obviously it's not the focal point, and it's not even the most heavy lifting that's done on his character. Uh, and so it doesn't get a whole lot of, like, even airtime. But it's just done so well and so succinctly that, like, again, it's it's sound, and that it's 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 not more than it needs to be. It's not lacking. It's exactly where it needs to be to get the point across that this happened to him, and that's why he's attached to music, and that's it. It's not some. It's not some thing where the director, the writers will be like, all right, we have to repetitively repetitively keep bringing this up because we need to make sure that the audience knows that this is why the character's like this. No, it's it's mentioned three or four times, and then it's pretty much over. Right, until the very end when they bring it back. But it works so well because, like, it's it's a fast-paced movie, so you've got to focus on other stuff. But, again, just as he doesn't undercut it, or just as he doesn't overdo it, he doesn't undercut it either, so that, like, when you get to that part in the movie at the end, where it's, like, kind of about his mom, and he loses his hearing entirely, but can touch the thing and listen to her sing, like, that's still impactful. And it's just just such good balance. It was such a genius part, it was such a genius move, whoever decided to do it, probably Edgar Wright, to have the tinnitus, like, ringing, in the actual movie itself, right? When the yeah. music for the... In most of the scenes where the music isn't playing, you can hear it. Yeah. The little... Mm, little... Yep. That's really nice touch. Yeah. And, you know, the soundtrack is what gets all the glory from this movie, but the sound design in general, even beyond the music, is exceptional. And that's what makes the soundtrack work so well, is that all the sound is designed around it or, you know, in conjunction with the narrative as well. And it's, like, everybody who worked on this movie was so, excuse me, everyone who worked on this lovely movie. <laughs> right. I'll let, you, I'll let you cut that out of there. TJ. Everyone who worked on movie was, was, was an expert. All right, um, that's it, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Manic Movie Misfits podcast. <laughs> Tom, well, you can see yourself out. Yeah. <laughs> That's my cue. <laughs> I thought I heard someone calling my name. I'm going to leave now. <laughs> I flew high and fast, and I will now make my exit. It was good while it lasted. <laughs> it was-
<laughs> for the good 45 minutes. <laughs> yes. TJ, anything stick out to you with this truly quieter, relaxing bit of the, the film before the action picks up? Yeah. Um, I'll kind of hit on like what we were just talking about with like flashback sequence and it like kind of like what I had like what I like about Eternals is that so much is said with so little and that like um like the whole section where it's like all flashbacks there's no words it's like there's a like if there are they're muffled you can't like really hear them mm-hmm. and um like I like the graininess on like the camera and it adds like a nice like uh classic kind of feel like with the music kind of thing where it's like if cl- he listens to a lot of classic music and so like i feel like a lot of the, like the flashbacks up should be kind of have like that classic tv graininess to it and i think it's that it has that style to it and i i like that i agree i yeah definitely all right we are going to move on to the money orders robbery, which is the last robbery of the film. Right. In that, we can talk about, of course, the warehouse and them getting together. Anything stick out? Do you want to, that you want to jump on right away? Um. Uh, uh, yes, th- there's there's something to be said for like the ambition that that scene takes on because that you know it's it's a totally different beast than the other two and i and i wonder i'm not entirely certain why that is other than maybe just wanting the stakes to be the highest at the end but it doesn't seem like it'd be that superficial you know it doesn't seem like it would be written that way just for the sake of like okay we need to end this movie and or like we need to have our quote unquote final act of uh criminal nature to be so big so that you know it seems like this is the end and the grand whatever cuz i mean like if you think about that for more than 40 seconds like if if doc gets his way it's not uh, it's just another job but it's like a big one so i, I I don't know. I, I mean, do you guys have any thoughts on why that might be? Well. Like, vote uh, of confidence, maybe, in I, baby, or? One thing that sticks out, and I think this is kind of what you're talking about a little, is they obviously change the music with the start of this whole thing with the warehouse, with tequila. Right. It's a much different song than what we've been hearing before. And not only do I think it, ma- it not only matches with, like, the deal itself, but I think it, it it matches Edgar Wright is trying to almost give the audience an indication that things are, you know, about to go maybe go sour or something is changing in the film that the audience needs to know about, you right, know? Right. It, it, yeah. And it, it follows that from the earlier stuff where the shift is beginning to happen. I Also, uh, side note. Is tequila on the official soundtrack? I don't remember it being on there. I could I be, know. I could be um, forgetting, but I think it is. I think it depends on what um, app you listen to it on. If you, I think if you have it on Spotify, I think the version they have in the soundtrack is not on Spotify. Because yeah. I was just, I was, I was scrolling through the soundtrack earlier. I, so I was well trying I, to find I, where I, it was. 
I have the vinyl, and I'm trying to remember if it's on the vinyl. And I um, can't recall immediately. I don't remember. Because I know it's on, like, a lot of the digital stuff, so I would think gotcha. it would be on the vinyl. With the the warehouse scene, it's at this point that we have enough footage with enough time with Jamie Foxx's character, Bats, to really understand his unique and destructive personality he has on baby's, oh <laughs> baby's life and baby as a character. Very whereas the other right, the other guys that were robbing stuff with him, they didn't really bother to interact with him or have an issue with him. It was really Jamie Foxx's character, Bats being the loud character and personality that he was to get in the way of him and not only to get in the way of him, but to have such a like strong presence to kind of con conflict with the more softer presence of, of baby. Yeah. And he is the catalyst for a lot of things. Um, but so, so, yeah, so, I, I mean, I guess what I mean by that is, like, it's it's not just the impact he has on Baby, because obviously Eric's Baby. That becomes very clear with a uh, metal rod inserted effectively into the narrative. But, um, yes, like, also in the way that he impacts Baby's relationship with everyone else. You know, like, like everything stems back to him in the final thing. Like if you if you want to talk about like why everyone's tense with baby because he tries to escape, it's because you know he fudged up the job at the gas station or whatever, and then you know that's like the only reason John Ham is up or whatever the procession of events is there. Like everything ends up getting traced back to freaking bats. Right. The, he he finds the um the recorder. Right, right, where he, right. where Baby uses to um, make all of his beats. Mm -hmm. Was he slow? Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> was he slow? <laughs> that, I love this movie, but that is a bad song. <laughs> it's not good. It's a masterpiece. What do you I don't mean? know what, I, what are you talking about? <laughs> that is my one, one grievance with oh, this man. entire movie, <laughs> is that Baby is not good at mixing. <laughs> those things or at least like his his creative vision in the music world is much different than mine oh my god yeah no no that's I love that. that's for sure but a great show don't tell moment while we're on this point is all the cassettes like yeah. he opens that up at the very beginning there's like a huge amount of them mm -hmm. and that's really telling of who he is as a character, what he likes to do, what he spends all his time doing, right? Because with the things he said and the things that he's done so far at this point in the uh, film, I was about to say novel for some reason, we know that he isn't a social guy. Right. So he has to spend his time doing something. And right. we find out, we're like, okay, and this is probably what he just literally does with mm -hmm. his foster parent. Yeah, or in his lone time. And his, right. One thing I want to mention, too, before we get to the male robbery, is we get to see Doc's niece. That's a little funny bit. 
Oh yeah, the nephew. Bit. The nephew, yeah. nephew. Yeah. That that one is fun. Yeah, he he. Um, oh my gosh. It's definitely another one of those. Another one of those show don't tell bits where baby realizes that he doc isn't alone. Like Doc's family is aware of what he does yeah. and totally realizes realizes it's the norm and okay, you know. To the point where yeah. it's, it's family business. Exactly. And that He's a chip off the old block. Yeah, that kid is so interesting to me narratively because, like, you think during the scene, and even after he, you know, he spews all his, you know, uh, savantic observational whatever, uh, he's not going to be that significant. But like, he ends up being so much more significant than that in that like <laughs> when a uh, baby is like spew spitting lines from monsters inc to yep. kevin spacey the only reason doc <laughs> knows is because of his nephew like, oh that, my god like that's such a good again sound thing like everything has a reason for it and it's all built in and he gives it to you all somehow and it all stays relevant uh, uh, oh yeah like, that's just a detail i think i caught that like the third or fourth time i watched i'm like oh that's that, that i mean that's just showing off that's just so good it's like every single base oh, is covered oh yeah uh speaking of the tv scene like i like how a lot of like the lines are like the um like ideas and scenes that are like that he's flipping through the channels they come back like later in the right, movie right and, and, and you don't and, and i you don't even realize so that until because of that moment when Doc calls him out on it. And then you think about it, and the next time you watch, is like, did he do that with other stuff? And it's like, yes, he did. That's like... <laughs> yeah. At one point, that's like half his dialogue in the movie is just stuff he saw on TV for like four minutes with his silent, deaf uncle. And like that's what he used for like a week. <laughs> I like that revelation by Doc because, and his, that confrontation with him and, and Baby because it really brings a, like, sourness and a realization to the audience member that, for the most part, Baby was never trying to be Doc's friend because a lot of those lines were reciprocated from the things that he'd seen it wasn't from the heart and and it you yeah, know, yeah, it also highlights that the relationship you know was always in a weird spot where baby was indebted to doc no yeah for sure now we'll go to the main male robbery sequence very hectic mm-hmm. cool, it's so. i like the foreshadowing with the the metal pipes there's that one shot in particular where it's like when you first li- watch it, you, you get your it's enough of a hint where you're like, why is there just that random shot focusing on the pipes? And then you come back and you're like, oh, so that's why it the was used for murder. Exactly. <laughs> the use of the glasses with the purple lighting. Uh. Uh, 
So good. So cool. The the vibe that those emit adds to the environment as just being totally evil and along with the music, evil and hectic and dark. Yeah. And and it's also just another one of those moments where like clearly the people who helped Edgar and whoever else wrote this movie write this did their research and did their homework and did not allow you to lose like any sense of believability throughout the entirety of the movie. Another really cool element of this movie is that like the heists are not inherently sexy at all. Like the bank robbery at the beginning maybe has a little bit of glamour to it, but then like the next one is a like a truck that they like grab some bags out of. And then the last one is pieces of paper that they use like a government loophole to make money off of. Like just so, again, like so creative, so well-informed and so fitting for what the story is that's actually trying to be told and that you don't need sexy heist scenes to tell the story of this kid. And adding to what you're saying, Doc a couple times says a guy with a nasal problem is giving him this information. That basically saying a guy has a you know is addicted to cocaine, right? And so he's getting the information off of that. And I did read somewhere that you know he consulted with like bank robbers and and criminals and stuff like that to to figure out how these all went. And you're right. At the very beginning, we highlighted realism, and it doesn't get as more real than that. Yeah. You know. Yep, right down to the lingo. And, I mean, you know, that's that's the standard expectation. Like, you want every movie to do that. But the reality is, like, Michael Bay's not going to go do that, you know. He doesn't, he doesn't, can't He's just going to blow everything yeah. up. <laughs> yeah. Why would you integrate all these glasses when you can just shoot the cameras and light them on fire? And then the yeah. paper money slips. Turn into gold bars. The use of claustrophobia right before Bass gets killed is done fabulously. Oh, yes. Because you have everyone yelling at baby. You're in a claustrophobic car with all these people in it. The cops are coming. They have to go. The music. It's all tense. The lens and the sunglasses. Yep. Busted out. Busted out. So we can actually see him for the first time ever in a car. Like, ah. As a as an audience member, I felt like I was getting hit with the shotgun. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's just so good. Yeah. And then this is a slightly off talk, topic, but I've, I wanted to mention this. I loved when another show don't tell is when I think it's. For those keeping track at home, that's three show don't tells. <laughs> I was going to say, <laughs> if you're not going to say it, I'm going to say it. <laughs> <laughs> is when Baby has all those sunglasses, because someone's knocking him off. I can't remember who's knocking him off. It's uh, John, Berthal. John Berthal. That's right. Yeah. I, that's one of the other scenes that sticks in my head. It's just he's just <laughs> slapping them off, and he just keeps putting them on. Yeah. He has like, he, he, like, three, or, so like three times just putting them on. One of them's like pink. And he's not even phased. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Oh, my God. Yeah, so... Jamie Foxx bats gets, um, well, let's just, how do we put RKO'd. this? It's railed. Yeah. But I'm impaled. Because it's will. like a rail kind of, right? The pipes are kind of like a rail, yes. but I'm. 
It was a good joke, good, TJ. Good one, John. Good TJ, one, John. Don't make fun of me. I have my hand in my hands. This is I'm good. Crying. This is good comedy. Don't make fun of me. This is why we do movies. Top tier. <laughs> don't make fun of me. And then we get. I'm sorry, Dad. And then we get, in the words of Michael Scott, parkour with. Truly. Truly. With, I'm not wrong. With Baby escaping the cops. I love. And this is right the moment. This is where Sony was like, you need to cut this out, Edgar Wright. Yeah, shut up. <laughs> it's so... We get so many clean cuts in this as well, this sequence. Some that you can barely even notice. Mm-hmm. But the choreography is uh, off the chain. Uh, he's like and- he's like flipping over like a staircase. He's hopping over like a chair here and there. He's hopping over a bench. He's like sli- he's like flipping over escalators, sliding down escalators. Yeah, it's so so good. Yep, and, and and the best part about it is that it's it looks so effortless, and half of that can be attributed to like you know the fact that Ansel Elgort went to like ballet school for like six years or whatever, uh, and then the other half is just you know the great great cinematography and the pacing of it, and that like you get from car with bats to the parking lot and you you remember all the moments but it also like flies by like that could be such an arduous scene to the point where like before it existed I can almost imagine why the studio executives would have been like "Uh, I don't know sounds like a lot of running and not a lot else but, you know, it's done so well that it just, like, it clips along and it's interesting and so fun the whole time. And then it, like, gets from point A to point B so creatively and so effectively, but so quickly and so satisfyingly. Yeah. TJ, your thoughts? I'm, I mean, yeah. Like I said earlier, this is, like, one of my favorite sections of that movie. Um... I love like how everything from uh, like like oh uh, the song uh, that's being played uh Hocus Pocus by Focus uh, very uh, <laughs> yeah um it's a very like uh, dynamic song like you have like it breaks down like two or three times like the song itself and then it, like cuts into like windpipes <laughs> at the end and it's just like it's a flute what it's a flute man <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, sorry. Focus, I don't know my instrument. I was, I was never a music person. Second greatest flute rock band of all time. TJ, how dare you get the instruments wrong? Okay, we're done. I, you leave. <laughs> sorry. And then there was one. Yeah. And then there was one. All right, guys, I'm just going to tell yeah. you everything about Baby Drive by myself. The rest, yeah. TJ, our mission here the rest of the podcast is to find something to just absolutely excoriate John on. So that none of us <laughs> like leave with, a, with, a, with our hands on You've already given here. me the counter, though, right? You've given me the show-don't-tell counter. Well, yeah, but that's, you know, that's topical. We'll find something for you. All right, don't find worry. something. You'll I dare you. will feel bad. I dare you. This. I challenge you. I challenge you. Find something. Oh, my God. <laughs> Do what you won't. No, yeah, but but TJ, as, as you were saying. Oh, yeah. Like, this song is very dynamic, and it's just, like, the way they integrate, like, just everything into like like the way it's paced like the way they stop for like the section where the guy's yodeling and like the way he like 
like he's flipping around things and like time with the music with the flute you got the the gunshots at the end mm-hmm. it's just oh i love it it was like the opening credits where he's going to get the coffee on steroids because yes. that was really yes. well choreographed yes. that's such a great way to describe that one point john zero points tom and and tj anyway I'm sorry tj he, he <laughs> did good no but yeah i I can't imagine being the choreographer or the director trying to do all this having to time these long sections of matching it with the song in the scene i mean obviously they had i've read that they had editors on set so they would take the the clip and then make sure it lined up correctly but even still trying to do that i can't i got to imagine it was a tough bit to do. Oh, I'm sure. And again, you know, it just goes back to the sheer creativity. Like when you have to do that, you have to get creative. And so, you know, that starts with being at the drawing board and ends with matching flute trills with Uzi shots. Like just so cool. Also, I've learned that never get on the bad side of an angry John Ham. I think that's kind of one of my yeah. outcomes of this film. Mm-hmm. If if you're on the bad side of a angry John Hamm, you should probably just leave. You know. Yeah, and I mean, you know. Yeah, it's it's like it's like Mad Keanu Reeves. You don't want to do it. No, no. <laughs> yeah, and John John Hamm is really good as an actor of like making you forget that that's what his whole career came from. Like you know, he did that for like nine years on Mad Men. But no one ever really even seems to remember that, except for, you know, casting directors who are good at their job. He's not in a lot of stuff. No, he's really selective about roles. He talked about that with. Yeah. Uh, I was say he kind of just pops up. David, oh, really? David Tennant, I think. David Tennant has a spectacular podcast. Okay. That he talks to like a bunch of people he's done projects with, and so you know they did Good Omens together, and they talked about it, and John Hamm. First off, super smart guy, like just very thoughtful with his words. But again, yeah, like super selective with roles. Interesting. Yeah. I've only seen him in a baseball movie called Million Dollar Arm, mm. um, Richard Jewell. Yep. And then I've seen I've seen a few episodes of Mad Men. And you've seen Tag. We watched Tag. Oh, that's together. right. I've seen Tag. Was he in Tag? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. No, yeah, he's a really good that's, actor. I kind of wish he was in more stuff. But yeah. I understand that he is selective. Yeah. I think he's got, like, a family now, too, you know. Right. And he's, you know, not poor, so. Well, that's one way to put it. Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Like, he could have quit after Mad Men and been set for, like, three generations of his family. That's what I feel like gets put out of perspective with, like, casual moviegoers or just people, casual, you know, people that are attentive to Hollywood is they don't understand that a lot of these actors, I mean, you can live off of an entire lifetime on, on some of these contracts that these actors get. Like, for example, I mean, this is like the highest amount of money, but like Robert Downey Jr. And Chris Evans for Marvel, Mm -hmm. the deal they got for like the final movie Endgame, you could easily live off that your entire life. Yeah. Like, like a lot of of actors, if they're not, 
a hundred, like, you know, not everybody is Tom Cruise. And so like a lot of actors probably don't have the incentive to like work their balls off every single day for like 60 years in a row because like acting is really hard. I can attest to that personally. You can. We just did a chintzy little play of Shrek the Musical here for like 10 weeks and I'm tired. (laughs) I can't imagine having to be like part of these massive film productions year after year after year after year. For sure. I want it, but I can't. I, I can't yet imagine it. That is our off-topic conversation numero uno. We have a lot of them on the pod. <laughs> cool. Very cool. So that's yeah. numero uno. I don't know. This might be an unpopular opinion, but, like, that feels like the lull of it to me. Even though it's, like, the beginning of the end of the movie, that feels like the least stylistically in line with the rest of the movie. And that, like, nobody's really running, and it's all just, like, gunshots and stuff like that, right? And so, again, I, I recognize this might be partially an unpopular opinion, but it's... And, and the fact that this is, in my opinion, the worst part of the movie speaks volumes about the movie in and of itself, <laughs> and why I love this movie so freaking much, is that, like, the literal scene that causes, like, the main villain's arc like the final boss to become so diametrically opposed to our hero is like the part that i'm like yeah i could maybe take or leave that the most so are you not are you saying that the section that i considered the quieter bit are you saying that isn't no because i like film aesthetics sometimes more than the plot itself and i love the aesthetics of that segment so much. Sorry, which segment? The segment that I just was mentioning? Yeah. Okay, yeah, okay. Your, your bit. And, like, going in and watching the car get crushed. Like, initially, uh, maybe in my first couple watches, I probably agreed with you. But, like, I think it's just grown on me in that it's, like, so beautiful and, like, formative. And, like, that's when you begin to realize what kind of movie this is. And, like, where the shifting is happening. I guess. I see where you're coming from, but I still disagree. Yeah, and uh, that's valid. I, I just think... I expect that. With the section that I'm referring to, it, at least I don't see how you could not consider it the, the, the typical l- um, lower, quieter section in the film... Because it's uncharacteristic of the rest of the film, right? Because there's no action. Right. We have more, we have a peace, it's peaceful with, with Baby for a while there. The rising action hasn't happened yet. Whereas I feel like what you're talking about, your section, were, well, you actually, you did admit this too. It is in the rising action yeah. of, of the ending. It is the rising action. Right. So do I see where you're coming from? Yes. But yes, it is unpopular. Yeah. I, I don't yeah. I don't agree, but I do see where you're coming and I, from. And I, I, like I said, I don't expect anybody to agree with it because I like it for like purely personal reasons. It's like, oh man, this is so beautiful and pretty, and I it maybe maybe it's because it's no longer as much about baby at that point of the movie. You know, that's when it very much becomes about everything else. 
Like, oh, Bats has died. Oh, Buddy has lost Darling. Like, oh, everyone else is now getting their moment where they are getting, you know, their established stuff in place so that this can go back to being about Baby. And I don't know, maybe I'm just in love with that character so much. And Baby, to your credit, with what you were just talking about, he loses his music. His his yeah. his iPod got shot, very much representing what you're talking about by it becoming more than just Baby. Yeah. Because that key element that he had to his character is now gone, at least for a little bit. Yeah. It gets shot, and it's almost as if, because we see an iPod basically in all of those heists to distract him and to go away from all this darkness and this evil that iPod is broken re- adding on to what you're in and aiding with what you're talking about right he's he's the least in control during that portion of um we have the final we'll go to the final dinner diner scene yeah that is my personal favorite scene of the of the film yep yep it the reason some of the reasons why it's my favorite and then you guys can obviously add on I like how such a comfortable setting in the film prior. It, a lot of the ni- the great conversations, peaceful, lovely conversations with Deborah were there. It seemed the, the violence, well, I kind of take that back because they, they ended up going there in the middle of the film. Yeah, they do go twice, one time with bats, and that's kind of where it becomes a battleground. But, but still, the, the color palette and the, the environment of the diner is very friendly as we've come to know him for the most part throughout the film. But in this setting, we have a very dark and tense and suspenseful scene going on. Yeah. Another reason why it was my favorite is because I loved how such a lovely song almost adds to the suspense mm-hmm. with what's going on. Like, you don't... Edgar Wright almost twisted the song yeah. to aid... The suspense in the well, scene. Well, and I mean, that's such classic Edgar Wright. Like, he does that in Shaun of the Dead with the zombie killing scene. Okay. With the Queen song, right? And he, like, makes yeah. a joke out of it where it's like, why are we doing this to Don't Stop Me Now? Like, this is ridiculous. Someone changed the <laughs> song. But then oh my the, God. the maturity of Edgar Wright is then being able to do the same bit again but keep it serious and put it in, like, one of the most formative parts of the movie. Yeah. Another thing, too, that really hits me with it is how Buddy is at a loss, and the emotion in in Buddy is very palpable because he's looking at what he had, which is a love relationship, that that is gone because he because of baby. That's who he ultimately yeah. believes ruined who killed um, Darling and killed that relationship. And just the way it synced to the music just hits different. Yeah. And and I love the shot too where Deborah is filling up his, his coffee mug and she is just violently shaking. shaking. Yeah. And John Hamm in a very calm manner. Is like you know that's enough. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah. Oh my god, that's it's more so, than enough. So well done. <laughs> and you know, it's also worth noting that like, uh, y- you have to imagine that prior to this, 
uh, Buddy is Baby's favorite to work with because Buddy's the only one that actually gives a shit about him and, like, has conversations with him, and they jam to Brighton Rock or whatever it is beforehand. And so, Yeah, the best Queen song. The best Queen song. <laughs> and so, Hell yeah, yeah it, is. it is. It is the most biting development that could have happened to Baby. In that, like, yeah, all these goons have come and gone, but the one that might have been a friend is the one that wants to kill him. And I love, too, how, like, the main never-never-gonna-give-you-up really starts kicking in when we see John Hamm for the first time, you know? And then he sings it. Ugh. Yeah. It's, it's so, like, and they're so close together, making it so uncomfortable mm-hmm. and so like terrifying with the gun under the newspaper like you don't know what he's gonna do and then you have the mashing of colors with the red and the blue when the cops show up Mm -hmm. dude oh my gosh yeah like tj and i have talked about before on the podcast how certain scenes have their own fan bases (laughs) i gotta imagine i hope there's one for that scene because i'm in it yeah it's it's so good and 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 just the cops coming in adding a whole new element of just chaos and uncertainty oh yeah i mean like you said, this is like it's such like a it's such a well-rounded scene. It has like so many like elements to it that are like playing out in tandem. Like the cops coming in, uh, which you think are gonna be like they're gonna recognize them, but no, he's just stopping to use the restroom, and it, it, it's like it's it's it feels so like yeah, it feels like it's gonna be like this big threat, but honestly, it's like it's it's almost used as like a punchline. I thought it was kind of cool. That was one nitpick that I had was I feel like the cop would recognize them considering yeah. they're all over the... Not be quite that negligent. He, he directly looks at their faces and yeah. doesn't recognize them. Recognizes them. That's just a nitpick, but... Yeah. All right. In the aiding the time here, let's move on to the final talk with Doc slash just the overall climax. So we have the parking garage and, yeah, the talk with Doc. Talk with Doc. TJ, what stood out to you with um, with the climax, with this section? I mean, um, I like uh, going back for the tape. Uh, like, I like that that's kind of like a, like, a, like a central point of the plot that, like, they kind of keep coming back to. They kind of – it just aids – it gives like an, like another like treasure to like for baby to kind of keep going. I thought that was kind of cool and like how it kind of ties into the end, and then like the action scene itself was. I mean, it, it's a great action scene, like to Brighton Rock, the best Queen song. How could you not <laughs> love it? As stated by the podcast, best Queen song, Brighton Rock. And again, you know, it goes I, back to that relationship. Like between them in that they bonded over the song and then of course that's the freaking showdown song it's yeah it totally matches the chaos it does it does i i like the the slow reveal of buddy two where but where baby's baby essentially says that's no cop mm-hmm. it's not a cop yeah yeah you're it's this is your favorite oh. song baby just cranks it <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and I he's love playing it. Or sorry, he's playing ahead. it over the cop car loudspeaker, which is just like such a good detail. Yeah. In that, like, he knows how to do that, and 
he might have stolen the cop car just to do that because he's psychotic and he knows who he's going to go kill and how effective that's going to be. Like, ah, and it's just so badass. <laughs> like, that immediately entered my bucket. It was like, oh, now before I die, I have to play Brighton Rock over a cop car loudspeaker Kay. and just, like, drive around. <laughs> Another badass moment? Freaking when Baby essentially runs over the cop car when John Hamm tries to hit him. Yeah. Dude, I, when I saw that, I was like, bro, parkour. <laughs> that was insane. Oh, so my insane. God. So good. And it, and, highlight, and, it, and, and heightened by the realism of it all, the fact that there was no CG, very little CG, it, it all looks so real. Yeah, yeah. Because it is, for the most part. Yeah, it's, it's very practically done. And here we get, I mentioned a few instances of the color palette earlier, we get it with the red, with John Hamm's face, when Buddy's face is lit up, when the red, very evil, mm-hmm. very, definitely sets the mood there. Mm-hmm. Cup car dash, all red, again, just details, so good. I loved the integration of the cars into this scene in a way that they hadn't been integrated in the rest of the movie prior because, like, you have the cars at the very beginning, like, running up against each other, almost to, like, signify that, like, this, like, the car is a shield for Baby. And, like, although it's caused him a lot of troubles, it's also been, like, the reason he's been able to keep going is that he can drive and be in this car. Uh, but then also, like, the seat thing at the end. Like, just so creative and original it's like yeah uh, it's of course like of all the conventions you could use with cars they have doors that open they got like speed behind them they got horsepower and the thing that is his downfall essentially is the fact that the seat reclines and she can pop up and get him mm-hmm. and distract him and then go get him later it's so good definitely the last thing i'll highlight here and then we can get to our favorites and then we can close it is a great u- a great job with the use of like surroundings, their surroundings. With, you know, baby drive- driving backwards and and buddy driving forwards, you know, to get down the circle. And obviously Buddy's demise is in part because of where they are falling that far down into the exploded car. But yeah, I, I thought that was a a cool little um, characteristic there. Right. So then in lieu of actually addressing the ending ending. Uh, oh, that's right. Baby's name is Miles. It's really beautiful, and it gets you out of Atlanta, which is so effective. and uh, Very peaceful. Yeah. I love that part of the movie, too. And, and, you know, he serves jail time. Like, who in a car heist movie actually serves jail time? Yep. Just him. It's yep. so good. Not even Dom Toretto serves jail no. time. Not no. even Dom Toretto. Dom Toretto gets out of jail time. He breaks out. He breaks out of jail time. Yeah. All right, I'm going to get to some questions for you guys, and then we'll do favorites. We can run through these kind of quickly. Yep. Is the end a dream or reality where it is oh. essentially setting the scene, right? It's Buddy or Buddy, Baby getting out of prison, and the dream that we had seen before it starts in black and white, but it goes into color. It's a very artificial color, so it's not like the normal c- 
like a 60s movie kind of caliber. Exactly. So, with that being said, is it a dream or reality? I think it's a dream come true in that if the movie would have ended on that shot, it, I feel like the argument would have been a lot stronger for a dream. It did end on that shot. Well, but no, because then it has the next shot where he walks up to her. Oh, right, right. Okay, that, I know what you're saying. That is what I think is the okay. crux of it there. Is that like, yeah, yeah, he's from his perspective, this is his dream. But then from our perspective, when they're together, this is actually manifested okay. into real life, and they get to go live their life together. God bless America and Britain for Edgar Wright. <laughs> nothing else. We gotta include Britain in this. Yeah. If any, if we've learned something from this podcast, Edgar Wright, New yeah. Order, and nothing else. I agree. I also because I'm a hopeful guy and I like happy endings. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think that I agree just because my big thing with it was the mere fact that it does go from black and white to color, whereas the dream before was just black and white. Mm-hmm. So that transition really just sold it for me. Yep. Where I came to understanding, okay, I think it's I think he got his five year parole and he's free. TJ? Yeah. Um I think as much as I want to think it's like a, kind of like a reality kind of thing, I think it might still be a kind of a dream kind of thing. And that because like even like the way she dresses, it's still very like everything feels very 60s about the scene. Like, like because that's like the like postcard is like it's the very 60s diner backdrop. Like that's it actually in the diner. Uh, and she's dressed in like 60s clothes, driving a 60s car. Um, like very saturated kind of t- like time period esque visuals. Yeah, as much as I want to say it is like re- real life, I don't know. I don't think it is. I don't know. That's, that's just me. That's, but I am hopeful that it kind of is real life. It's definitely worth noting. Um, my interpretation of that was always almost like a nod to the song that the movie is based off on. You know, because Baby Driver came out. Late 60s, I think, right? Something like that. I mean, that's the era that Simon Garfunkel were popular, so I assume that that's when it was made. 1970 is the year of the song. 70? Okay. Next question. Is this a postmodern musical? What I mean by this... you got to explain that to me. Okay, what I mean by this is there's not singing or dancing in the street, but the music... But the the world acts to the music. Does that make sense? Oh, okay. Right? Because people are stepping to the beat of the music. The gunshots are all to the beat of the music. There's like graffiti just in places that matches the lyrics. Exactly. Yes or no? Like music video energy. Yeah. It's what you're kind of going for at some points. I think you've Um, made a very good point. I... I would it's definitely an interesting like question. I uh, I think so. I, I think because it's something to be said where other movies will have songs that match just a scene, but nothing's actually synced up to it. Right. This is a legit. This movie is legitimately based on the music itself and built on the music. Right. And for that reason, I I think it is. I think it is. Uh, I'm thinking back to like. The fact that this is essentially Edgar Wright's like modus operandi movie 
where he just goes full tilt into his style and full tilt into Edgar Wright's style just happens to be a postmodern musical. <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm just I, I'm I, asking. I wonder what he would say if you told him that. You know, I would be interested too. <laughs> you should tweet him that because he's on Twitter. <laughs> he's on Twitter all the time. At Edgar. Is he really? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Maybe I will. <laughs> what what are, so what are you guys' responses to that? No comment. Is, is it going to be no comment? No, I agree. Oh, okay. I, I will. I, yeah. I'll cave. Okay. That, <laughs> sounds, cave. that sounds correct. Okay. <laughs> Peer pressure. I DJ? Guess there's a fine line between love and hate. Uh, <laughs> I'd probably do the same okay. for right now. Um, I'd have to think about it. It's, <laughs> it's definitely an interesting question. It is. So... I think yeah. I think I think if more movies come out that begin to look like that, either by Edgar Wright or by others, then you'll have a stronger case for that too. That's true. Like, there's know, not enough of the genre. Yeah, yeah. There's a ton of musicals that exist. Just calling something postmodern and making it something else might not be accurate yet. Like it might need more steam behind it to take on that actual moniker. But it, yeah. if if that were to technically become a thing, we know Ground Zero. We do. Yeah. This movie has plenty of great quotes. Oh, yes. Which one is the... Can you pick out a best quote? Oh, man. Not your favorite, but do you, have a, do you think there's one the objective, penultimate... Objective best quote of the movie? Yes. Uh. My favorite quote has always been... Uh, John Bernthal at the beginning. If you don't see me again, it's because I'm dead. <laughs> I love that one. He has a lot of good it always. Ones. It never fails to make me laugh. Yeah. So funny. Uh, my favorite John Bernthal one is uh, the part where he's screwing with Baby a little bit. He's like, either this kid's as tough as nails or scared as shit. <laughs> Which one is it, Baby? <laughs> like, that's just such a good quote. But no, I think it's... Uh, I don't need no introduction, Doc. Everything from Jungle to the Trap, no bats. All right. Yeah. Right when he gets introduced. Everybody's from Jungle to the Trap. That's no a good bats. one. So good. Such, like, Jamie Foxx. Ah. Yeah. I I honestly don't know. I mean, obviously the iconic ones are, you know, That's My Baby. Yeah. Or Was He Slow? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't, I, I can pick one. I don't know what the best one would be. That's the one you chose is a good one. Yeah. For the best. Anything by John Bernthal, Jamie Foxx, Kevin Spacey is probably number one. I take that back. I know what my favorite one is. It's um well I know my favorite. I don't know if it's the best. Kevin well, I, I don't know if I mentioned this, but Doc is my favorite character. Mm-hmm. And I like the <laughs> he's he, just remarking him drawing the white using the chalk to draw the map. I, that's what I was just about to quote yeah. that one. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I just threw a whole whiteboard while we were standing here squawking. <laughs> Isn't that impressive? <laughs> so good. So, so good. good. And it and also highlights just how quirky the movie is because you have a guy that's so serious just being so funny and yeah. random and, and yeah. The good news is you're about to make a lot of money. <laughs> and the good news is you're about to make a lot of money. Oh, my God. Last and final question. Should Edgar Wright go all the way with making a sequel? He's written the script. Oh, oh 
But man. he hasn't decided to green light the project totally yet. It would really depend on what it looked like. I would almost want a different baby driver, I think. Like, not Ansel Elgort. That, that story is so tied up that if you brought him back... I don't I don't think it'd work. I think you'd need like a totally new cast with kind of the same premise, you know? Like the initial starting premise, but like right. a different trajectory. TJ? Uh kind of on the same path. I kinda of think like it kind of just depends like how how it works. Cause like as much as I I feel like it would regardless be a pretty good movie. Because, I mean, it's Edgar Wright. He never misses. Uh, and I think he would, like, craft a really good, like, movie for it. Yeah. If it's this, yeah. Same character, I don't know. Because, yeah, like, like we kind of keep saying, it's, it, like, his whole thing is wrapped up, and it kind of seems like it ends in a logical place. Right. So why, like, keep going? Yeah, it's weird. It, it, you you can't do like a Matrix resurrection sort of thing where you bring Neo back after like fifteen years. It's like oh, time to run it back one more time for the simulation. Like that's <laughs> that's not this movie, and it never was. But yeah, you know, definitely it's, not. It's, it's it's plausible to believe that like I don't know in Detroit or West Philadelphia, there's some kid who's like like if we had a black baby driver, oh, that'd be so cool. That'd be so cool. I'd watch that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I I say no, just flat out, because, well, I say no if it's what TJ was kind of talking about. Well, you were talking about, of course, too. If it became a direct sequel to, to this one, because I like the ambiguity of the ending, mm -hmm. the uncertainty of whether, because, you know, there is good arguments on both sides about whether it was a dream or not that ending right. with some of the, the, you know, the backdrop and the editing and the clothes and everything, there's arguments on both sides. And if it is a direct sequel, then that argument will cease to exist. Right. Right. So I don't think they should or Edgar should, but we'll see. Not even if the baby driver was different. If it was different, I would definitely be okay with that. Yeah. 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 I'd be fine with that. All right. Real quick, before we round it out, yes. do you want to do favorite song? Well, I was going to do favorites right now, TJ. We're doing you know, all our favorites. Oh, okay. Okay. What is your favorite use of music in a scene? Slash, if it, and if it's also a different song, you can say that too, but what's also your favorite song of the, of the movie? Oh, man. Okay. Uh, my favorite use is... Probably Hocus Pocus, like you talked about, TJ. Same here. It's so good. Um, but I think my favorite song is um, <laughs> the Young MC song from when they steal the Camaro from the two druggies. Oh, yeah. Like, yes. I, I am such a sucker for dog shit 90s rap. And <laughs> when that song came on, I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. It's perfect. Yeah. So yes, know how young MC best song. That's a good choice. So good. TJ. Um. Well, same. Uh, use of a song, Hocus Pocus by Focus. 
And then uh, my favorite song is Radar Love by uh, mm. Golden Earring. Good yeah. Good uh, it's, yeah, that's a great one. Mm-hmm. I listened to that earlier today, and I was jamming in my car. My favorite is Never Never Gonna Give You Up by Barry White. <laughs> yeah. As a, that, as the use. Is it because of the scene? <sighs> well, I liked the song before. Okay. I actually did listen to the song before, and I did oh, like yeah. it. No, I believe it. Yeah, you can't go wrong with Barry White. No. Yeah. And and the use, mostly because I highlighted this before, the aura around the song, right, is very is very lovely and very pleasing, but they place it and use it to add suspense, which is weird to think about, and and use it in a very suspenseful scene, and I and I really love that. Moving on, what is your favorite character in the film and why? thought about that um for a superficial answer i'd have to say flea's character interesting or jd because i don't know they're just funny okay um but ultimately it's probably doc as well as well as your own because you know doc is a menace clearly but he, you know, like, uh, I mean, the movie does a pretty good job of uh, showing that everyone in the crime business has a reason that they're there. But Doc is just so sympathetic in the way that he's integrated into it. And the reason he does it is because he has this big family he wants to support and, like, this life that he lives. And he is a compassionate guy. And... I honestly like even the heists he stages are meant to be pretty non bloody, non violent. He he's not out to like ruin people's lives. He's just out to get his own. Ditto to all you said to all that you said. And then also what I loved about his character is for someone that's like the mastermind of it all, he seems so disconnected with the way he dresses. Yeah. And the way he goes about his life, like you wouldn't think he would be this big, you know, crime organizer person. Right. Like he drives a Subaru for God's sakes. Like that's what they get into and out of during the uh, scene where they're like scoping the bank. Like he's he's totally undercover pretty much all the time. Yeah. He and he, the way he carries himself mm-hmm. is totally just uncharacteristic of what you would would think would be creating and. These, all these plans for these crimes. So, right. yeah. TJ, favorite character? Uh, probably John Ham. John Ham. Uh, I mean, I think he's a fantastic, like, antagonist towards the end. I think he's, like, he, he's just, like, a good, unrelenting villain. And I like that, like, his connections with Baby. Uh, and, like... Just kind of the way he carries himself in every scene. Right. Again, it, so much sympathy. It, 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 some of it can't be matched. I love it. Good choice. I have the quote right here we were talking about. It's, wow, I just drew a whole goddamn map in chalk while we've been while we've been standing here squawking. That's pretty freaking impressive, right? And freaking is not freaking the word. Asterisk. Yes, that's not the word, but we're kid-friendly here on the yeah. Manic Movie Misfits podcast. Well, that is it. We have finished our long 
long-awaited, long and long-awaited <laughs> conversation <laughs> on Baby Driver. Tom, you really poured your heart out today. I This is like a it. catharsis that I don't think I ever thought I'd get in life, really. <laughs> Our podcast is therapy. Yes. You've heard it here first. Yes. I, I am a changed man for being here Whoops. today. No, that being said, I hope this is not a one-off thing. I would love to come back and do this again. Yes. Oh, yeah. You, you are, are always welcome. Yeah, you're definitely coming back. If I have to kidnap you, uh, it might come to it. I'm just saying. I, you know what? I, I'd be <laughs> welcome to it. Just say it's for the podcast, and I'll be like, all right, do you want me in the trunk or on top? Get in this bag I'll now. Just, I'll just put the bag <laughs> over my head myself. You'll put it on willingly. Now it smells like lilacs in here. Let's go. <laughs> no, yeah, I we all had a fun time. It was this is might be my top fifteen all time now. Again. It was in it at one point, but over time I watched more movies Man. and I didn't watch this one, so it kinda went out. But I'm thinking it might sneak in there now. Yeah. Yeah. It oh, yeah. has a way of keeping that staying power. With all that being said, I'm gonna rewatch it again soon. Yeah, yeah, I know. I kind of want to watch. Yeah, it's one of those movies where you'll watch it and then you're like, "Oh, I want to watch it tomorrow." It gets infectious, and then you watch it like ten times in three weeks, and it's like, "All right, maybe I should now (laughs) pump the brakes." Maybe I should watch something else. Before we end it, just want to shout out: be sure to follow us on Letterbox, TJ and I. Follow our Instagram. We've changed the username. So it was Field of Films. Now it's the Manic Movie Misfits podcast. We're going full podcast content on there now. Be sure to follow it. Anything else, TJ? Uh, I think that's pretty much it. Tom, you have an Instagram. We'll link it down bef- down below. Follow Tom. I do have an Instagram. It's uh, underscore T-R-E-E-J-O. That's Trejo. And then another underscore. That is it. We hope you enjoyed. Tom, thank you for coming on. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for having me. You guys, did you guys, you guys never found anything to um, criticize me on. Well, that's why I need to come back. <laughs> well, that, Episode oh. two of me here is just the reckoning of John. By the end of next episode, yeah. I'm just with Tom, I'm just gonna be like on the floor, just like crying. <laughs> I'm going to come in with a list against you. I'll be, like, uh, uh, ready. I'm on it. Yes, yes. I have a list of everything. Thank you for watching, everyone. We Watching. Wow. Thank you for listening. Maybe you were watching watching somehow. Maybe you're stalking us. Maybe Maybe there's one of these cameras that's on and you're stalking us. I don't know. We will catch you on the next episode of the Manic Movie Misfits podcast. Thank you very much. Yeah, see ya. Goodbye. Never, never gonna give you up. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm never, never oh, gonna no. quit. Da, 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 da. just ain't my stick. Da, 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 da. That's, that's what I know. Mean.